So, having finished 1 Corinthians, um, the church at Corinth was uh, pretty messed up. Uh, had a bunch of doctrinal issues, uh, a bunch of church governmental issues, a bunch of conduct issues that Paul had been contacted. Brothers had uh, come to him and brought information about what was going on there. And Paul wrote uh, what is referred to as 1 Corinthians. Uh, he actually, in that letter, references a previous letter that he had written to the church at Corinth. Uh, so strange as it is, uh, apparently 1 Corinthians is 2 Corinthians. And um, now we'll see as we get into 2 Corinthians uh, that there was a letter he mentions that was between what we refer to as 1 Corinthians and this now, 2 Corinthians, so in fact, this would be 4th Corinthians. Technically, there are four letters uh, that uh, went from Paul to the church at Corinth. Uh, the thing that's probably most difficult about this, most awkward about this, is um, the letters that he wrote to the church at Corinth, correcting them, uh, polarized uh, the church, caused... Uh, the church to, um, I, I guess you could even say split. Uh, you'll recall that in the first letter, uh, Paul is saying to them that they've developed this sectarianism where uh, some people are saying, I'm of Paul. Others are saying, I'm of, you know, Apollos. I'm of Peter. I'm of Jesus Christ. There's these factions uh, within the church, and what happens when Paul sends the letter is there's actually a, an even stronger polarization. Uh, there are people that, more or less, in receiving the letter, act like that's it. Uh, I'm I'm not having anything to do uh, with Paul, and, you know, and his teachings, his organization, and so uh, there's a really strong split uh, that occurs over that. And and Paul has made the statement previously that in their um, acting like that and talking like that, he makes the accusation that they're proving that they're carnal. And we, uh, you know, in the church today have that term carnal Christian, and that's not in the scripture at all. Uh, according to the disciples and their writings, you were either carnal or you were a Christian. And he's saying that by their polarizing and splitting apart uh, and drawing away that way, they are proving that they are in fact carnal in uh, their behavior and perhaps even in their belief system. Uh, both Timothy and Titus, Timothy's going to be referenced here, but they've been involved in the interactions with the church, delivering letters, reporting about the consequences and the difficulties and the challenges uh, that the church is facing and uh, the things that are going on. So um, here, as we open uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul is going to reference, uh, or I said 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Paul is going to reference the fact that Timothy is with him and addressing the issue because... 
Timothy has been to the church at Corinth with Paul and seen, known, and uh, addressed these people as a, a fellow minister. So, uh, verse 1 uh, says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in Achaia. Uh, so, uh, as Paul is addressing, uh, you know, just a standard greeting and opening, he begins uh, by making that statement that he's number one an apostle, which uh, the church at Corinth is uh, sort of arguing about and saying that perhaps he's not an apostle, that uh, the eleven who've been chosen by Jesus Christ are, but they they don't agree with Paul's teachings, so they're uh, trying to raise some kind of issue over credentials and say that Paul is not an apostle. And he is reminding them uh, they they know uh, how he came to be obedient to the Lord as he was on the road to Damascus to persecute Christians. The Lord appeared to him, confronted him, and chose him to be an apostle. So uh, the same as the other apostles were chosen directly, handpicked by Jesus Christ, Paul was directly chosen and handpicked by Jesus Christ. Uh, here, with those credentials intact, again, Timothy, our brother, I've pointed out uh, recently in our other studies that uh, Paul previously refers to Timothy as his son in the faith, talks about his youth, encourages him to not allow people to disrespect him for his youthfulness. Now, Paul is referring to Timothy as a brother. There's a, a, a maturity, an equality that is occurring in Timothy and his relationship uh, with Paul. Uh, here in verse 2, grace uh, to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the Siamese twins of the New Testament, grace and peace. Not going to know peace in your life without knowing the grace of God. Uh, if you're a Christian, been in fellowships for you know a big part of your life, but still don't have the peace that your heart is longing for, then my suggestion to you is you have not yet found the grace of God. Uh, you know, it's in discovering the grace and functioning in the grace and living in the grace that you're going to find peace. Now, a lot of people look at that as uh, you know, having peace within yourself. Um, you know, recently uh, watching uh, something on television, heard one of the actors, uh, someone was confronting him and said, "You know, you're going to hell." And he he responded, you know, rather glibly, uh, "Yes, and I'm at peace with that." <laughs> uh, you're delusional if if you're at peace with that. That's not the peace the Lord is talking about. About you know, just coming to the place of numbness. It's the idea of being fulfilled. It's the idea of having your life complete in Christ, that your relationship with the Lord generates in you a peacefulness that exudes graciousness. You have grace for other people. Why? Because you've 
come to realize the grace that God has for you. Your life is very cyclical. You know, you you have the grace of God working in your life that creates peace so that you can be gracious with other people, which creates peace so that you can experience the grace of God and experience peace so that you can exude that grace and peace. So, you know, it just it goes around, you know, in a self-propitiating way. It's a beautiful thing, and that's what Paul is saying here, that you have the extension from these two ministers of grace and peace from God. Now in verse 3, the statement, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Important that we remind ourselves uh, periodically that Lord Jesus Christ is not his first, middle, and last name. That this is uh, his name, certainly. Uh, It is his name power and authority and it is his position you know lordship Uh, you you want jesus christ to be your savior he must be your lord Uh, you must answer to him you uh, you are reminded as a believer in that uh, statement that you yourself are a servant You, you have a lord over you 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 are not free to do your own will, which you know is kept from you because it's destructive. It isn't as though the Lord is keeping some good thing from you. It's in pursuing our own will that we damage ourselves. His lordship is to our benefit and creates the goodness in our lives. Jesus being his name, Christ being his fulfilled position uh, his promised coming of savior the one who was uh, alone anointed by god and uh, called to be the savior of all things and uh, it's just disgraceful years ago i was down in bar harbor and uh, you know saw a sign that said something to the nature of, you know, sacred Buddha, sacred Christ. And, uh, you know, in talking with the people involved in those meetings, you know, they have it in their mind that throughout history, there have been many messiahs, many Christs, many who have come and fulfilled religious and spiritual roles for humanity and Jesus was just another one of them. No, there's only one in all of history. There's only one Lord and there's only one Christ and his name is Jesus. So, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. I was reminded of Romans chapter 10 verse 9 that says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus Christ is the source of salvation. And it is not only the belief of him being that Lord, it is the confession of him being Lord. Um, You hear the book of James telling us that Demons are believers, 
James says, uh, you believe in God, basically, good, good for you. The demons believe, and they tremble. They're scared to death. And we see that when Jesus was doing his earthly ministry as he would come to those who were demon-possessed. There are a number of occasions where they throw themselves to the ground, worship Jesus, beg for his mercy, uh, ask that he not pronounce judgment upon them, all of them, uh, 100% uh, understanding that Jesus is Lord, but they're not in submission to it. They, they aren't under his authority. They're living in rebellion to it. It must be that uh, we have a submission to his lordship in our existence. So re referencing uh, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of uh, mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation. Uh, now, the tribulation of the church at this time is growing more and more intense uh, with every passing day. Uh, there's a hatred uh, that was growing at this time in history. It began in uh, Jerusalem. Uh, the Jews particularly had a hatred for Christianity, and they stirred things up very badly. Paul was part of that original persecution, but almost immediately the Romans joined in. You'll recall, uh, you know, James and John of the Peter, James and John, uh, they killed James uh, and uh, uh, that pleased the Jews. Uh, and so they grabbed up Peter and they were going to have him put to death. But the Lord sent an angel and delivered him out of uh, prison and uh, he was able to escape and go to a prayer meeting where he received assistance from the believers there. But the tribulation is growing at this time, the persecution. Uh, Jesus promised that in this life, he said to the believers, you will have tribulation. Uh, good point to uh, uh, make a distinction between the generic sort of troubles that can be profound and severe, uh, and what the scripture refers to as the great tribulation, uh, the time of Jacob's trouble. Uh, you read the book of Daniel, and he receives that message uh, from Gabriel, and uh, in the message, uh, you have the set what is referred to as the 70 weeks of Daniel. Uh, so they are. Uh, 77 year periods of time that have been blocked out uh, by the Lord. Uh, you give a careful study to that and what you discover is 69 of those weeks have passed and there is the statement that uh, the Messiah would be cut off. And in that, there is the understanding that there will be a halting of the 70 weeks passing in one seven-week period of time or seven-year period of time will be held in reserve for a future date where God will use that seven-year period of time to pour his wrath out upon an unbelieving world. The time of Jacob's trouble, the great tribulation, often referred to as simply the 
tribulation. It has the definite article of the, meaning there is you know, a distinction between all other tribulations and that one seven-year block of time that's being referred to. So here, the Christians are certainly experiencing tribulation and persecution, but there is a distinct seven-year period of time still ahead of us where that is going to take place. Now, you know, I can almost see on each of your faces that, you know, you already agree and understand and know these things, but you're, you're going to run into people, particularly there are those that are referred to as preterists who insist that all of these things have already taken place. The tribulation has taken place. Persecution of the church has already taken place. Uh, everything predicted in the book of Revelation has already taken place. Uh, all that Jesus predicted in Matthew chapter 24 and 25 has already taken place. All behind us. Uh, particularly, they want to point at uh, 65 AD and Rome invading and sacking Jerusalem. And they want to find all of the fulfillments of those prophecies inside that period of time. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Um Things that are spoken of literally in those prophecies, uh, the preterists often want to make them figurative. Uh, things that are spoken of figuratively, they try to find methods uh, of making them literal. They, they really jumble up uh, the whole understanding. Christianity is going to experience persecution. That's happened in waves all along uh, since Jesus Christ returned uh, to be seated upon his throne, uh, the church has experienced trouble. And uh, we are told to embrace it, told uh, that it is a, you know, a good thing, that it is beneficial to us. And certainly we see that historically. Whenever the church is experiencing comfort and ease, it's dying off and becoming incredibly ineffective. Whenever the church is experiencing trouble and persecution, it thrives and it grows and it becomes very strong. So we're, we're watching right now as persecution is rising in our nation. And that's a good thing. None of us wants to go through it. I'm not hoping to make it worse, you know, accelerate the problem or the process but uh, it certainly results in growth and strength within the church. In this statement, Paul says, you know, speaking of Jesus Christ and, and God the Father, that they comfort us in all tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. It's important that we do, in fact, help people with the things that the Lord has helped us with. Um, it's funny how in our pride, our sinful pride and our arrogance, uh, sometimes we forget what the Lord has brought us through and we get really judgmental and really legalistic and really critical of people that are going through the same things we went through. You know, I... Uh, I see some Christian parents who went through really terrible, sinful behaviors when they were younger, and now they're raising, you know, teenagers and uh, you know young people who are being sinful and getting into trouble. And 
they're really flipping out on them in a very legalistic and judgmental way as as though they did not go through similar things it's important that uh, you know we hold a firm hand of correction uh, in our families our homes and our circumstances but also that we comfort with the same comfort we were comforted with verse 5 as for the sufferings of Christ abound in us as uh, for as the sufferings of Christ abound in us so our consolation also abounds through Christ now if we are afflicted it is for your consolation and salvation which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer or if we are comforted it is for your consolation and salvation and our hope for you is steadfast because we know that as you are partakers of the suffering so also you will partake of the consolation kind of wordy but there's a nice solid truth in the middle of the thing and that is that uh, we need this suffering that we takes place to comfort others and we shouldn't think of it as some kind of failure uh, the health, wealth, and prosperity movement has long uh, preached a message that basically says if you suffer, you're somehow in sin. There's failure in your life. There's a lack of faith. That comes from the fact that uh, they, the word of faith movement has redefined all of the important terms and the scripture regarding faith, uh, you look at how uh, it specifically tells us that you know God created the heavens and the earth, and uh, talks about how He spoke uh, things into existence. And now that we're children of God, those false teachers say we have the same ability to speak things into existence. You know, uh, I'll never forget. Uh, some of these teachers have gotten better about it, but in the early 90s, listening to some of the most prominent teachers in the health, wealth, and prosperity movement, you know, on televangelists, on TV, cable programs, literally saying, I'm a little God. I can create. I can destroy with my word. I can speak things into existence. I can bring things to an end with my own confession of my own mouth. Uh, when, you, when you start taking characteristics and attributes that are belonging to God and you inappropriately assign them to yourself, you're starting to fit into the same class that Lucifer was in, right? When he looked at the Lord and said, I will exalt myself above your throne. Uh, you know, those poor people ended up suffering miserably because clearly they can't speak things into existence. Imagine their disappointment uh, all along the way, not in even humoristic ways when their wives were getting sick with cancer. You know, they've got this supposed healing ministry and there's nothing they can do. They're literally sending their wife, you know, off to hiding 
in order to keep the public from being aware that their poor wife. Imagine doing that to someone as dear as your wife in your life. You've got to hide them away, tuck them away, because you've made claims about faith, about the Lord, about the Word of God that are false, and now you've got to live up to them. The, 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 Paul is here. I, I'm not actually chasing the rabbit trail very hard. The church at Corinth is criticizing Paul because he's suffering. Oh, well, if he was a real Christian, you know, he wouldn't be getting arrested. You know, if he was a good Christian, he wouldn't be getting shipwrecked and bitten by snakes. And, you know, clearly this guy's got some problems in his life that we're not aware of. God's trying to show us that we shouldn't be listening to Look, he's sick all the time. You know, he's going to talk about uh, his illness here uh, just in a few verses. And these are the criticisms. You know, he should be better off. He should be, he should be healthy. He should be wealthy. He should be prosperous. Instead, he's suffering and being beaten and being imprisoned. Uh, there is that mentality. You know, I never forget years ago, a dear woman in this fellowship coming to me crying because another person had looked upon her long-term physical affliction and said, clearly you're suffering this because of a lack of faith and sin in your life. And no, I'm just living on a planet that's fallen and has sin and disease. I'm waiting for the return of my Messiah so that I can, uh, you know, go and live in his presence in a new body. And, and, you know, she had spent some days feeling very depressed and defeated because this person had come and attacked her. It's amazing to me, uh, you know, to look at that situation and the person that had attacked her had all kinds of physical problems of their own. So, so are, are you saying that's why you've got your problems? <laughs> why? You know, I, I like how Joe Foch always points out that, uh, you know, he never trusts a, a, a healer who, uh, you know, ha himself is making those kinds of claims and yet has profound problems himself. This is a telltale sign that you know, they, they, in fact, are preaching something that's false. The consolation, the, the, the comfort that we experience, it needs to be center of our person. You know, the person who's struggled through raising children should help people who struggle through raising children. Uh, the person who suffered drug addiction should comfort those who, you know, struggle with drug addiction. Uh, you know, others can do the same things, but the comfort you've been comforted with should be your focus should be central to your ministry and your message. Verse 8, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, Asia, for we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Now listen, it's been falsely taught that Paul was suicidal. Okay, We despaired of life. This is a common statement of the day, especially amongst the Jews, uh, to say that when they were sick, they despaired of life. And uh, when they had been healed or gotten better, they would say they had been returned to life. So, so you know, there, this has 
quite a bit to do probably with what he refers to as the thorn in the flesh and the struggle that he had. Uh, we, we read in the book of Acts about how sick he got during these missionary journeys and during his time of travel. So this is uh, pertaining uh, more to do with uh, illness and struggles that they were dealing with physically. We despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, restores the life. You know, it's sort of melodramatic. How you doing? I'm as good as dead. You know, see him next week. How you doing? I've been restored to life. <laughs> you know, that's literally what we're talking about here is a is, is physical malady that they were suffering. So imagine in the midst of all the physical persecution and the imprisonment and the shipwrecks. And on top of that, you're, you know, like we say, death warmed over. You know, you're experiencing really serious physical problems also. So, uh, you know, God raises the dead who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. You are also helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. That gift he's referring to is the prayer. Um, very important that we understand the effectiveness and the power of prayer and uh, not sell it short. We know we, we often get the impression like, oh, well, if I really want to impact the ministry, I'm probably going to have to, you know, live in a tent and, uh, you know, save all my money and uh, travel the world preaching the gospel to souls that have never heard it, suffering every inch of the way. Or you could dedicate hours of your day uh, praying for people who are already out doing those things, taking whatever money you save and sending it on to them. To, you know, has God specifically told you to go do those things? Then by all means, go do them. Uh, Paul here is saying, you know, the fact that you guys prayed for us is a substantial portion of what delivered us from those circumstances. And this is, in fact, the only gift that he's referring to here. There's nothing monetary involved in that statement. Uh, there's nothing material involved in that statement. The gift he's talking about is the fact that they prayed for Paul and his ministry. I have a, a friend who has particular struggles with his faith, and he deals with them very well in his relationship with the Lord. And uh, he met another man who has a very powerful uh, ministry and has similar struggles. So this idea of comforting with the same comfort you've been comforted with. Uh, my, my friend uh, who lives... Uh, way out of state has actually dedicated one day of every week to pray and fast for the mutual friend who has the same struggles. You know, uh, that's really smart to recognize uh, that, uh, you know, here's, here's a person I found in the ministry who has similar struggles to my own and they have a very effective ministry 
and I want to see them succeed and be, you know, very successful. So I'm going to help in that battle that they're in by taking that person to the attention of the Lord uh, for a whole day out of every week. No food, prayer and fasting all day. Remarkable example there. Verse 12, for our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly toward you. Several aspects of that are important. He's countering the accusations that are coming against him. He's, you know, saying that, you know, the people that want to criticize us, uh, you know, they do it in a hollow way. They clearly have not actually examined our lives, our conduct, and our ministry. They just don't like us. So they say terrible things about us. They try to steer people away from us. You know, he's saying to the ones who, you know, the division has happened, so the, the more loyal people are the recipients of this letter. He's saying, you know how we were. And you can ignore the junk that's being said. Why? Because you know how we conducted ourselves. It was a simple process that we were involved in, that sincerity that's referenced there. Uh, the the idea of being without wax, the uh, um, porcelain and the potter's uh, that produced vases and uh, different utensils uh, would hide flaws, cracks, and breaks by mixing uh, the earthen elements into wax and then packing it into uh, whatever they were trying to sell. And so they developed this statement in their businesses uh, that uh, their products uh, were without wax. Uh, the root word of sincerity actually has to do with being exposed by light. And um, I don't know, you know, as the years pass, I carry a, a little streamlight flashlight uh, with me like all the time because uh, my vision's failing. And so I, I have to commonly you know, just in the, the store to read the ingredients on the back of the box. One, got to have the glasses, the bifocals. Uh, and then secondly, you know, got to actually like get a nice bright light on that to see the things I need to see. Uh, they would hold the vase up to the sunlight and turn it and look for any lines that they could see through it, uh, exposing the cracks and the flaws and the insincerity that it had wax in it. Paul is saying our conduct was simple and honest. It was godly and it was honest. It didn't have, you know, great. We weren't a big flashy show. We didn't have to have all kinds of stuff. We just came, preached the word, did our job. For we are not writing any other things to you than what you read or understand. Now, I trust you will understand even to the end, all, as also you understood us in part, that we are your boast, as you also are ours in the day of the Lord. This uh, simplicity 
and uh, trust and the read that he's talking about. Um, we uh, we often refer to the Bible uh, and uh, we'll say things uh, like uh, the canonized word of God. And, uh, you know, that gives the impression to a lot of people that uh, it means like we've we've done a thorough examination and uh, we've presented it to a board of very learned men and they've all uh, you know voted upon it and uh, you know come to the decision that it's the approved books of the Bible or passage of scripture or whatever and and thereby they put their seal upon it and it became canonized. It's not what it means at all. It means the read. Meaning it is read. You have read it. That's what it means. It means you've read it. And and what that comes from is the fact that there are many other ancient books that were considered holy, but the early church recognized mm, all of these books of wisdom that Solomon wrote. Many of them don't line up with the wisdom of God's word. So we're going to choose out of them, you know, these books of Proverbs, and we're going to include them because they don't contradict the doctrine that we find in the rest of the word. So boom, you've got those books. Yeah, you've got the writings of Enoch, but many of the things contained in the books of Enoch, we wonder whether Enoch himself wrote them and they're impossible to verify. Doctrinally, they're impossible to verify. So don't include the book of Enoch. Set that aside because it could potentially lead to thoughts and beliefs that contradict the, the core element of what's in the other books that we read. You know, yes, certainly the books of Maccabees, uh, you know, the history of the Maccabean Wars, very interesting, worth your time reading. But do you include them in the scripture? Okay, a number of things that are thought and presumed uh, uh, doctrinally there don't line up with the rest of the word of God. Some bad things happened to the nation of Israel per having followed those men and their circumstances and the things that they thought and taught and were uh, doing in regard to the relationship with God. So yes, worthy of study. Yes, worthy of even being part of your faith, but included in the Bible? No, they, they, they agreed that that probably was not necessary and not a good idea. So within actually the first 50 years of the church existing, they had compiled these 66 books that we read today and is what they read. They read it and we read it. It's the read. It's the canon. That's literally all that it means. And Paul is saying here, you know, for we are not writing any other thing to you than what you read or understand, right? That's why you don't include the Book of Mormon into the Bible. You know, the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, they are not a church of Jesus Christ at all, and they are not the Latter-day Saints. And the Book of Mormon is not a New Testament or the newest testament of Jesus Christ. 
It's a piece of false work fabricated by Joseph Smith. You know, and when you talk to the Mormons, mostly what they do is only follow the traditions that are taught to them by the Mormon tabernacle. They don't even spend much time reading the Book of Mormon like we do with the Bible. And they certainly do not become serious students of God's word. You know, you see their advertisements on television, you know, just call this number. We'll, we'll send you a King James Bible and a Book of Mormon. They're not going to encourage you to read that book of the Bible at all. Not at all. They're going to take you through certain select passages inside the Book of Mormon, uh, but more what they want you to do is become interested and end up at a local tabernacle where they go through a process of brainwashing you into believing a very organized systems of teachings and beliefs that they have. Very different than the Word of God. Paul says, you know the book we read. You know the things we teach. You know how to follow us. You can do this on your own, for we are not writing any other thing to you than what you read or understand. You already know the Word of God. And he's mostly referring to the Old Testament, right? Everything he's writing lines up with the Old Testament, from, from Genesis to Malachi. Uh, the things that are contained in there. We have nice confirmation, especially from Peter, that the things written by Paul are in fact scripture, right? He, he, he says many people, you know, renounce and denounce uh, the writings of Paul as they do the rest of the scriptures, right? Implying Paul's is scripture and you should be reading the rest of the scripture also. And that message is that we boast in you. You know, you boast in us. It's it's good. He talks about the, the divisions that occur. He he has to admit in the end, it's good that divisions have occurred in the Church of Corinth, so that we can know who's approved, so that we can know who's right. We boast in you, the guys who have remained and stayed at the Church of Corinth, not split, left, and gone and formed their own church. And you guys boast in us because we're bound together in the word. Verse 15. And in this confidence, I intend to come to you. I intended to come to you before that you might have a second benefit to pass by way of you to Macedonia and come again from Macedonia to you. So make my traveling route through Corinth and to be helped by you on my way to Judea. Therefore, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly or the things I plan? Do I plan according to the flesh that with me there should be yes, yes and no, no. But as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. For the Son of God, uh, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus, and Timothy was not yes and no, but in him was yes. For all the promises of God are in him, are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. 
Paul wanted to go visit them. On the way through and on the way back, didn't work out. So his critics are acting like, see, the guy makes promises and doesn't even carry through with them. We read that Paul said, you know, if we can, it is our intention, God willing. That's exactly what the book of James tells us. Don't say you're going to this town, that town, buy, sell, trade, make money, do whatever. You don't know what tomorrow holds. Rather say, if God wills, we'll do this or that. Right? And that's how uh, Paul had addressed the church at Corinth. It's our desire, and we're going to try to. God willing, we'll see what happens. It doesn't happen, and they jump on the opportunity to say, look how inconsistent this guy is. Paul draws them back to, hey, wait a minute. Am I an inconsistent guy? When I was ministering amongst you, wasn't my yes, yes, and my no, no? Wasn't I rock solid that way? You know, I'm paraphrasing. If you think back, we said we're going to try. That exposes the wickedness of the critics, right? Uh, Anytime somebody starts taking your words out of context, twisting them, turning them into something they weren't, now you know what you're dealing with, right? There's, There's nothing you can do at that point. It's better off not to say anything. Just leave it alone. Don't have conversations with them. Because that's what they're always going to do, right? They did that to Jesus a lot. <laughs> Remember? He's you know, saying uh, to them, referring to his own body, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. They turn that into, he said he was going to destroy the temple. No, no. In fact, he said, you guys go ahead and destroy the temple. So even if, He said something about the temple that they worshipped at. He was referring to them destroying the temple, not himself. I mean, totally out of context, twist it, turn it into something that he never said. People say lots of lies about me. I I usually stick to Yogi Berra's reference at that point where he said half the lies they say about me aren't true. Verse 23 Moreover, I call God as witness against my soul that to spare you, I come no more to Corinth. Not that we have dominion over your faith, but our fellow workers for your joy. For by faith you stand. I'm not going to come to Corinth anymore. Yeah, that's my, my intention is to not come to Corinth anymore. Why? Because you guys are perfectly fine without us. People have been purged out of your midst. There's a whole bunch of headache that has gone and left and formed another church. And I don't need to come and perform any more correction. You're better off if I stay away. Write your letters as I'm writing. You guys take them to heart or don't take them to heart. But my showing up is doing nothing more than damaging our relationship with one another. (laughs) I'll pray for you. You pray for me. Will will continue on. It's it's not a, a message of hatred. It's it's a simple statement of you guys are mature enough to take it from here and do what you should be doing. You know, you got rid of the junk, the Judaizers that were there, the people that were renouncing me, and you're doing just fine. If you receive the letters that I might write to you, take whatever correction and doctrine that is in them and live by them, you're going to do just fine. 
You know, you don't, you don't, you're not little children that need dad to show up and put the training wheels back on or spank you or whatever it is. You guys are doing a good job. Just keep on doing a good job. I, I like how he ends this section of the scripture. It's maybe a little heartbreaking for them and that they would like to see Paul again, some of them. But in the end, there's, there's a strong encouragement in that. And you guys can handle yourself for here. It doesn't have to be me guiding your every step. So we'll pick up with chapter 2 next week. Will you guys stand with me and we'll pray? Father, I thank you for your love and your work in our lives and ask that you would help us to follow you, that you would accomplish what you want to in each one of our lives, our hearts, and our minds. Fill us with your spirit. Lord, give us opportunities to work for you. Uh, big uh, areas of ministry or small conversations that we need to have with an individual. Whatever it might be, we want to see your kingdom expand. That those who believe would become stronger per having had conversations in ministry with us. And those who do not believe would come to know you through us as your children. Bless us, keep us, use us as your ministers. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.